ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, uh, we're going to take a break from the podcast from mid-September to January in 2023. So this will be the second last podcast of the year. We've been doing it for three years. We haven't really had a long break. So uh, I think uh, it's time. It's time to just uh, take a little break, refresh, come up with some new topics, come up with some maybe some uh, some sort of different direction to, to see where the podcast could go. And if you are subscribed, as you know, all that money goes straight to charity, but feel free to uh, cancel that subscription if you'd like. Uh, I would recommend you uh, keep it going because <laughs> uh, that's a nice thing to do. And these last two podcasts, we're actually going to answer two listener topics and there's a shout out there in the uh, in the last one. And just before we get started, I'm going to shout out the sponsors as well. You can skip through this if you'd like, but uh, they help us out a lot. So uh, let's get to the first one. First, we are sponsored by Earthy. Earthy have a huge range of sustainable clothing. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing their t-shirt right now. Very, very, very comfortable. Go to imearthy.com.au. It may just be the most sustainable clothing brand in the world. They're based in the south coast of New South Wales. And if you use the code Neil Jordan, you'll get 15% off. Not only that, they will send $5 to some of their favorite foundations. And look, there's just no reason not to buy some shirts, to buy some clothing from Earthy. So that's imearthy.com.au. Very comfortable. Cannot recommend them enough. Uh, we're also sponsored by Crush Organics. That's Crush with a K. If you use the code Neil there, you'll get 40% off. And they have a huge range of CBD oils, CBD oil products. They've got uh, gummies. They've got pain cream. I've been using some of that pain cream and <laughs> it really works. So uh, go to crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil and you get 40% off. Of course, if you haven't tried their CBD oil before, make sure you just try with uh, one or two drops to begin with, all right, Jordan, how you doing, my man? You good? Yeah, I'm pretty good. You just did five shows in Melbourne. How were they? Uh, they were all good. Uh, last show uh, it w- was passable. Uh, very sorry about that, everybody. I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to have smoked hickory meat before a show ever again in my life. Wait, <laughs> did you get it, sick? <laughs> Sick's not the right word, but do you, do you have any idea how draining going to one of those like uh, places that has the Western <laughs> doors when you walk through them. You should never have that for lunch. You just shouldn't have that full stop. It's just like how we've been talking about all this pod for a very long time, you know, like what, what you put into your body, you get out. And it was truly incredible. I think on that last night I was just trying to hit those like, points but I, I literally didn't have the energy it was like being in one of those dreams where you're trying to run away from a serial killer and they're running normally and you're running away in slow motion that's it, it made such a huge difference not having my traditional bag of lettuce i blame our is that what you this. usually have you just have a bag of lettuce before you you do a show yeah i, I go up on stage starving Makes me hungry. Yeah, I've heard that uh, <laughs> if you go out, if you fasted before performing or before work in general, it's actually quite uh, quite effective. It definitely does. Brain's just do working co- better. Do you have a coffee or anything? Do you do anything? 
if the if the audio if if the if the after show, if the venue is kind enough to uh, supply me with a Red Bull, I might partake in it. But no, most of the time it's just like a it's a it's a rigorous routine of uh, meditating, going through the show in my head, and uh, pumping myself up Tony Robbins style. That's usually what happens. But this dude, fucking Ali, Pakistanis and meat man, he completely tapped me out. Can't really blame him for it as well, though. I was just kind of like, saw it, and I did not object. What it was a what was the meat? What was, what was the specific meat that he got you to eat? No, he did. He did not force my hand at any point. I should make that very clear. But uh, it was one of the ah, man. It was like a meat sample. Like, you know when you go into an Indian restaurant and the cheap ones and they just give you those three curries for $11 deals? They're great. They're great. Yeah. Uh, but the meat equivalent of that, you know, just like sausage, half a chicken, and of course, like the, just uh, some indiscriminate cut of a beef cow. Like it's too much. It's way too much. It screwed me. So anyway, if you did watch that last one, sorry, I don't feel like I was 110% for that and I do apologise that you paid full price. I did a show in Brisbane um, by the time this goes out two weeks ago and we wanted to film an improv special, which is very hard because obviously it's improv. There's no control over how it's going to go and uh, the last couple of improv shows we did were fantastic, killer, Mm, mm. 10 out of 10 Mm. and uh, we we started doing the improv, audio wasn't working. Standard. And this is the one thing that had to go wrong. Audio wasn't working. And it's a bad thing to go already wrong. you've got so many things you've got to be constantly thinking about in your mind because you're not only just performing in the moment, you're thinking about the story and how it's going to all tie together. And there's yep. a lot of components yep. to these stories. And you, you have to come see the show. Well, well, we won't be doing that style of show anymore for a while. But if you saw the show, you'd know what I'm talking about. And so I'm madly thinking about how to get the audio back up and uh, I'm not really taking in the um, audience answers as much as I usually would, which is vital to the actual story. And then about halfway through, when we're backstage, right, Daniel and I, all we're doing is talking and we have have about five to ten seconds to come up with the next points of the narrative in the scene Mm. and this person from um, from the, who worked at the comedy venue, comes up and tries to give us these other mics that wouldn't have really helped because it was halfway through. So we couldn't have posted it if it had half the audio only. Mm. And so I'm trying to not to, to be a complete cunt. I'm in this totally just high stress, high pressure environment where I'm trying to come up with a narrative while also just saving what has happened. And it's not like a five minute set here where you can just go through three minutes where it's shit. This is a 40 minute improvised <laughs> theater piece. Mm. And I don't get a chance to talk to Daniel about that scene. Cause she's just come up there like, Hey guys, I think the venue manager said, if you use these mics and I'm, ab- I'm literally to about help. to be like, fuck off. But I could, I just, obviously I can't, no, can't say that. No, it's not called for. And, but in the midst of that, there's just nothing else I could, I, I have, to, I either had to just, I, I was just like, all right, all right, that's fine. And then I, I just took them. Mm. It's already a little bit rude there, mm. but you mm. know, mm. Mm. it's just the nature of the show. Like you can't, you can't do that in the midst of a performance there. No. Um, and yeah, it was just a mess. Now we did do two improv shows that night and the shows were actually quite good and the audience was still good. 
but um, it was just technical difficulties more than any anything. And then the second one, it just didn't have the same vibe to it. I knew we we were always going to do the second one as just a, as a backup, but you know, there's certain things that when you see them for the first time, certain sort of tropes to the game that are very exciting, and it just didn't have that same flair to it. And we were pretty tipsy. That was the whole point of the second one. We were meant to do it tipsy and and borderline drunk. That one was actually quite good. I might post that one. But uh, it's just unfortunate that the one time we actually filmed it for the improv special, even though the last five could have been posted as some of our best work. But, um, yeah, actually filming it and... All for naught. Yeah. It, ain't it always the case? Yeah. And that then the ones that life. you want and then, and then the crap ones just go fine. Yeah. That's such- so annoying. Actually, you know what? Like... Look, I think you just have to take the uh, take the, the positives of the fact that you are at least filming most of those. But it is really annoying those kind of like genies that escape from the bottle, as it were. Yeah, and we weren't we're not filming them at the at the that location we were doing as a beautiful comedy club there in Brisbane. Um, but um, thank you to anyone who did come to that show. Anyway, let's get into the topic. This is from Dougie, big big fan of the of the show. I follow him on TikTok as well. Go okay, Dougie, funny man. Okay, this is a long one. Hello, Nail and Friendly Geordies. I don't know. Is that is that an in joke with your like podcast or something? Is yes. A lot of asterisks. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's it's blue checks. Okay. They write that instead of writing Friendly Geordies because they think, or then we can bitch about him, and then it's just like people send us what you're saying, and they're like, "Oh my god!" Oh really? So then because you're checking. Ah, oh, I see. I see. Okay. So dumb. Before we get stuck into it, lads, I've got to correct the record somewhat. Jordan, how dare you insinuate that I only know of Beast Wars through... Yeah, we, so we did a topic from this guy um, last year about Tism. Oh, yes. So how dare you insinuate that I only know of Beast Wars through one of your videos and that I'm not a real Beast Wars fanatic, reliving the <laughs> 90s nostalgia of epic fights like Depth Charge versus Rampage. Yes. Sickening piece of slag indeed. Yes, and it is yes. sickening, Jordan. It really is an insult to the spirit of my brother. <laughs> He'd be rolling in his grave if he was dead, but thankfully he's not. <laughs> In all seriousness, <laughs> fellas, legendary podcast app on the plight that is sports stars as role models. Great to see Bailey Smith carrying the whiz fizz around. I'm sure that could have looked really bad and stuff. Lucky for that. Uh, as for the other week when Max came on and Neil proclaimed Deacon as the shit uni in Melbourne. Well, Neil, I'll have you know that Deacon is number one in the world for exercise and nutrition science. So, yeah, maybe if your irrelevant arts degree degrees and your latte sipping courses and whatever other bullshit you learn at UNSW <laughs> didn't actually go there. But uh, I, I agree with you about UNSW. That's Sydney. That's Sydney. UNSW is just all tech. It's all engineering and commerce. Uh, it's not that great. Neither is diarrhea, but you still shit out the toxins. I remnants of Vegemite sandwiches and, oh, no, it just looks like Vegemite. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Glad that's out of the way. Now then, and before you give your shameless shameless plug for Steady Freddy, ooh, that's on the other one, but okay, let me be clear. The law. In that there are no abnormalities with my sexual performance, and I'm sure your female listeners, all two of them, it's probably gone down to, to, I'd be surprised if there's even one now, will be very glad to hear that. And you really should be ashamed with doing those shameless plugs. The corporate chilling of this podcast is absolutely horrid. And that's all me. I'm sure you, you all can gather that. It's the kind of absolutely neoliberal capitalist sellout shit reminiscent of Tism who are reminiscently 
reforming for the Good Things Festival later this year where tickets are just $200 each, featuring a litany of metal and rock acts such as Bring Me the Horizon, Regurgitator, The Amity Affliction, and also Tism. Tickets selling fast. December 2nd, Flemington Racecourse, Melbourne, December 3rd, Centennial Park, Sydney, December 4th. What, this guy has a problem with Brisbane. plugs. This guy's, yeah. <laughs> He's uh he's going hard Doug, on yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for uh, informing me of a festival that has "Bring Me the Horizon" in it. That's a name I had long forgotten about. And look, not all of us can get uh, all that Patreon money, so you know we got to we got to we got to be shills. We're all shilling for someone. Yeah. Even though this guy does kindly uh, donate to his Patreon, thank you very much for doing so. Good on you, Dougie. In even more seriousness, Jordan, this would be an opportune time to interview Tism. <laughs> It'd be a hundredfold better than Spanian. Fuck it. I'll pay you more money than Avi Yemeni. Just do it. Okay, time to hold up my end of the deal. Here's my topic. You come home after a long day of work. Your housemates are, be- are both out doing stuff. You pack up for an early night. Ten minutes in and you feel something. A sudden and unknown sensation moves through the left side of your upper body. You can feel your blood smashing against the walls of your arteries. Sleep is rendered impossible. You get up, walk to the kitchen, grab a drink. You're very dizzy and lightheaded. The cup in your hand is shaking. You can only stomach two sips and you can't possibly consume any more. A tidal wave of nausea floods your head. All the while, the sensation has gotten worse. You fear the worst. Luckily, your housemates come home. Immediately, you tell them, guys, listen to me. I think I'm having a heart attack. Please help. One of them calls triple zero. He walks outside to make it easier for the ambulance to find your house hidden down an inner suburban laneway. Your other housemate counsels you. Everything stabilizes. Then it all takes a nosedive. You can no longer stand, slowly leaning back to a wall, sliding down until you're on the floor. Your housemate talks calmly and positively to you. You try to explain the symptoms. The shaking intensifies. Your legs vibrating, almost cartoonish, but it's now reality. Shaking like they'll fall off. You lose the ability to talk. You grasp for air. For a fleeting moment, you know this is it. This is the end. You expect to see your life flash by. Your airways feel smaller than the eye of a needle. It's as if you're on the ocean floor with a cinder block on your chest and a cricket ball down your throat. Your housemate reinforces you'll get through this and you decide you will and you do. The paramedics arrive, do their tests, take you to hospital You're there for a few hours, nothing, nothing is found. You're completely normal, perfect, healthy, other than some obesity. This was my first panic attack. It seems to be the closest I've ever come to death. Since then, I've been living with panic disorder, a very niche mental health issue controlled by the subconscious mind. It's categorized by slight physical abnormalities, triggering thoughts of impending doom, leading to a cascade of physiological symptoms convincing you you're on the way out and preparing yourself for it. I've undergone a plethora of treatment and am pretty close to being cured. This has been in part due to Jordan's self-help videos. Thank you, Jordan. I don't particularly like being convinced I'm dying. Cheers, mate. (laughs) I'd like to hear you guys discuss all things panic disorder, panic attacks, and maybe just mental health in general. Wow, well, that took a – the tone took a turn there. Yeah. Yes, it did. Much like his life. How poetic. I'm going to say it was a very well-worded email. Uh, yes. Doug, look, I don't I don't know. I've never <laughs> had one. I'll tell you this, though. I'll tell you this. 
I have heard about people that do have panic attacks and they always use that phrase, impending doom. That's what I've heard. Um, my girlfriend is studying that at the moment. She's probably better better equipped to talk about this. Panic attacks specifically, eh? No, well, just, well she's just mental health. Uh, but he's right. It is a subconscious. It's the subconscious. It's not. I don't think it's a physiological phenomenon. It is. Mental. Well, it, it has physio- obviously has physiological effects. I look. I, this is definitely two comedians talking like experts on subjects they're not experts on. So, do you have anything to say about uh, panic disorder, panic attacks? No, nothing about panic disorder or panic attacks because I I always assumed that a panic attack was, as he said, you're kind of just like walking around and then all of a sudden it's like. Just you have this ghost heart attack almost. Um, as you were saying, this 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 feeling like you're going to die, and I don't honestly know how you can prevent that from happening. Uh, what what I will say in general, though, is I've I've heard that you you through CBT you can. From what again? This is just what I've heard. It's just a, a severe negative feedback loop of thoughts from just an initial bout of anxiety. Oh, and for whatever reason, it just keeps it ricocheting until it gets that big. Yes, that's what I, again. That's what I've heard. I don't, and then I don't know if it, that's actually a conscious train of thought or this is all occurring subconsciously. But uh, it's definitely something to seek therapy for because it is, it they they are mostly curable. Oh well, if that's the case, and all you need to do is just eliminate negative thoughts, there's some very very easy techniques for that, Tuggy. Now I've already discussed them before uh, ad infinitum on the podcast. I but will I, add this but one I just want to. I don't. I'm not definitely not an expert on that. Well, you know what? I am reading a book at the moment. It's called The Myth of Mental Health. <laughs> Okay. How provocative is that? (laughs) But he is just saying something that, uh, look, I've I've read 50 pages of it so far, but he is just saying exactly what everyone knows about it, right, which is that, like, you know, back in the day it was just known as hysteria or, uh, you know, the crazy house. And then you just get carted away into there. But the amount of people that you could fit into a crazy house, I mean, all of New York would have like one crazy house. Yeah. Uh, now it seems like all of Gen Z these days has some kind of unique me- mental health disorder. So it's like the, the to say that the numbers are inflated is, That's you know, an is an understatement, is an understatement. <clears throat> a lot of the time it's just like you're, you're mistaking – having like, you know, clinical diagnosed uh, anxiety for y- you can't get off your phone. That's that's what's happening there. So I think that like a lot of the time when people are, if, if for instance you have like negative feedback loops and stuff, I honestly think it's just that they haven't been taught mental hygiene as it were, let alone mental health. It's like really you're not brushing your teeth. You don't need root canal surgery. That's what I think is happening, right? Like you're just not – actively choosing happier thoughts to put into your head. You don't have those tools available to you. And I think that, honestly, if that's what most panic attacks are based off, 
And actually, as Dougie was saying, like the fact that he just started doing like a couple of things differently, massively reduced, surely. Like, I mean, your girlfriend would agree with that, right? I, I believe so. Can't speak for her, but yes, this is from a, a extensive conversation, but uh, again, one that uh, a psychologist would be far better equipped to answer. I did hear that uh, that goes on to something that you were just saying. Into maybe that this book is saying is that I think it was the a- the APS Australian. What are they called? A big psychology body here in Australia had released some information saying something along the lines of basically, look, not every person who is sad has depression. You know, it's sometimes normal to have anxiety. It's normal to have these things. It doesn't necessarily you mean you have a disorder and really only a psych is equipped to give that sort of a diagnosis. And it usually and it has to be quite a rigorous process before they can give those sorts of diagnoses. And apparently this was just flooded with whether it was posted on social media or not, but they had to like redact the post and apologize because a lot of people said, oh, you're, this is so uh, disrespectful to people who suffer from severe mental illness. And this is the- This report is disrespectful, is it? Well, that's, yeah, look, again, I don't know the details of this. No, it sounds like the usual thing that you get when you get hit with social media, which again goes to my point that if you're spending a lot of time on social media, I can guarantee you one thing, you're going to be depressed. And there was a study that came out recently that uh, sort of questioned the idea that depression is actually a chemical imbalance and there was a furor on social media about that. What was the question? Well, no, it just sort of said most depression isn't uh, it might it may have even hinted it may have even I don't so, think it was so like none of it's a chemical imbalance at all I don't think all. it was entirely conclusive but it was either saying it 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 leans towards that yes it's not a chemical imbalance or at least that the vast majority of cases are not caused because of a chemical imbalance well that's exactly what I can't remember. there was a study in the 90s I remember it, and uh, I've, I've got to go find it again. But it was uh, at a at a depression ward where they told pe- the uh, I think the 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 clientele to just stare at the ceiling and smile for like a couple of hours a day, and nineteen out of twenty were cured of depression. So it really seemed like one was chemically imbalanced, depressed. Which is the really weird thing about all of this as well. It's kind of like, okay, look. We have a weird culture around mental health right now. That's for sure. Don't you think? It's just like, look, if, if you don't have a mental health disorder, why are people so attacked by just the suggestion that it's kind of just like there's, there's fixes around this that aren't chemical. Like you don't have to have, uh, you know, uh, pills to cure this, you know, like you don't have to go to a psychologist to do this. You can read like a few behavioral therapy books and a lot of this will be cured. It's not saying this is going to happen to everybody, but I really do think that most people just don't have those basic tools there to keep themselves in a productive mindset that is happy. 
And I think that also on top of this, like in, 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 in our day-to-day world, it's so easy to get unhappy. Most of the things that you are bombarded with in front of you on your screen are designed to make you unhappy. Like it's all shock outrage because that's the thing that's going to share, right? There are also others, deep societal and cultural factors that have maybe come to a fore uh, recently and have definitely been exacerbated by social media, but the continued cultural liberalization of the West has actually thrown in many ways the baby out with the bathwater and there were just sort of institutional bastions of meaning that people had in their lives that they no longer have. And you have to construct that meaning yourself. We are extraordinarily autonomous more than ever before, which gives us a deep sense of freedom, but also a deep sense of loneliness. And it's very easy to fall into an existential crisis, which I could only assume would further uh, influence many of the mental health problems people are facing. Isn't it weird that like, I mean, yeah, if you have a society that is meaningless, of course, a lot of people are going to feel nihilistic. But anyway, look, the point is, all I'm saying is, I think that, uh, look, I don't understand the people that want to make an identity out of the fact that they're mentally ill, right? Like, if, if you are able to fix it, wouldn't you want to? Isn't this the insane thing about it, right? Like it just, it, it really seems like, because this is the same thing that you see with all these blue checks, right? Like anytime they're ever attacked on something that they did that was, you know, reprehensible for whatever reason, because they're just journalists that work for a corporation and so they're just endlessly either hiding things of national importance or, uh, you know, coming up with some smear campaign or something and they get called out on it. What do they always revert to? Cyberbullying, this is bad for my mental health. Every time. What happens with a politician that may not be, that must not be named? What happens every time he gets caught out on, you know, blatant, blatant, terrible, uh, I'm trying to be very careful with my words here, but just like bad, bad behaviour in office. What does he do every time? Pleads mental health. At the very least, you have to say that it is a convenient scapegoat for people that, uh, you know, are intentionally bad actors. Yeah, I mean, look, that's a unique example. Uh, but just broadly speaking, the culture of mental health now, it's in many ways been positive, the conversation around it, but that has led to people adopting it as an identity. Yeah, and once it's someone's identity, then they're uh, they're under direct threat when people will say things like, "Here are some possibilities." I'm not saying that it's always definitely going to work, but some possibilities for you to not necessarily cure whatever your ailments may be, but improve upon them at the very least. Well, then it puts the emphasis on them and it, it, it could be that, oh, are you implying that I haven't worked hard enough or something like that? And then there's often a a response of like, well, it shouldn't be based on me. It should be based on society to cater and, and to better understand what I'm enduring and what I'm going through. And But at the same time, they'll never you'll never know unless you actually have. It's very similar to many of the other 
sociocultural identity-based phenomenons that seem to be occurring. It's this very unique lived experience that everyone needs to adhere to and conform to and understand, but also that they'll simultaneously never understand it. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's actually a good point. That that really leaves you with like four categories, doesn't it? Like, okay, so it really seems like there's people that, you know, uh, chemically imbalanced, legitimate uh, mental illness, let's say. Uh, then there's people that just don't have the idea of how to keep their mind uh, mentally healthy, let's say. Uh, then there's the the group of people that kind of uh, like building an identity out of it and actually don't want it. They like that crutch. They like the crutch of being mentally ill. And then you have you the final crutch. Huh? You do get a lot of sympathy, which is good, which I think for the most part is a good thing. But there are just some unfortunate consequences of that. I think people may have, yeah, unconsciously adopted an identity around it. Yeah, and adopt an identity around it, which is you really don't want to be doing that. I mean, look, even even if you do, right, like this is even if it's like a physical ailment, say that you've got a missing leg, do you really want to make the fact that you have a missing leg your identity? Surely you would want to be striving for more than that. I think it's the same thing. It's just like, like okay, let's, let's just say even if you are – uh, diagnosed with anxiety or something like that. Do you really want to make that the prominent thing that you think about on a daily basis? Because if you if you make it your identity, if you make it the thing that defines you, that's going to be at the forefront of your mind all the time. So at the very least, as you're saying, you are exacerbating it. You would have to. Even if this is something that you can't control, if you are doing the thing that you can control and adding to that, like it's just making the situation so much worse. Yeah. There's, there's an element of self-fulfilling prophecy there because I know in China they just do not accept ailments like depression and anxiety as even – Yeah, East Asia's they're like just, that. They don't, Korea, Japan, exist. same thing. Yeah, And if you are, you're like – That's the other end of the You're spectrum. weak. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yes, the other end of the spectrum. Yes, <clears throat> it's a, uh, it remains to be seen whether overall this is going to be a uh, positive trend or a negative trend. Uh, mental health issues are certainly on paper increasing drastically among particularly Gen Z and seemingly among the whole population. Yet there's more conversation about it than ever before. Which we also Suicide know is, is increasing, yet there's more conversation than ever before. In the last five to ten years, there's more conversation than ever before about it's not weak to speak. It's okay to be uh, to to be vulnerable as a man. But then suicide is increasing. So, but that's the whole thing. It's just like they've they've known this since the Middle Ages. There was a book. This is incredible. There was a book about suicide. Uh, it was some treatise that some thinker wrote about why someone would kill themselves and then it just got into sort of a, a circulation around Europe and then all of a sudden in communities where suicide had never been reported was all of a sudden reported. Yeah, and it's because like the idea 
of killing yourself didn't even exist in these communities. It wasn't wasn't even thought of something, so therefore it wasn't even possible. Mm. And then when it was all of a sudden possible, then all of a sudden people started killing themselves. And it's the same with school shootings. Like they know that the more that they mention them on the news, the more likely there is they're going to be like copycats. Like it, it does do that. Like talking about these things makes you start diagnosing yourself and same thing with suicide as well. You talk about it a lot. It puts the idea into people's heads that otherwise it just wouldn't prominently be there. So what the hell do you do then? It's a good question because um, it's it's a very it is a sensitive topic, and people have been personally deeply hurt by it, or uh, close family members and friends have been clearly severely affected by these things, but you also have to have a, a, an honest conversation about it and not, and be willing to go to places that could be deemed, you know, offensive or off color for uh, people who may be suffering from these ailments. As long as the overall goal is to, everyone's on the same page. We want to minimize people's mental suffering. I think the main thing to understand, I think, honestly, is it's like what I've just been, we've both been pushing for years is just like, Dude, meds and psychiatrists are a last resort. You read a couple of self-help books first. You practice those things first. Then you go to things that chemically alter your brain, especially when, uh, dude, you, you go into a doctor and say, I'm depressed. They'll say, okay, here you go. Just give you meds. They won't do any test. They'll just give you something. Yeah, and again, this is just. I look. I do. I do. In many ways, agree with you. I, I. I have a suspicion. Maybe of all of the podcasts we've done, this could cause, um, maybe more controversy. Ironically enough, and this is not to say anyone who is on medication is is a weak person or anything like that. But I do no. think the culture around it should be questioned and potentially does need to change. No, this, this is no one's saying these things don't exist, but it's well, well documented that they are overprescribed and a lot of people think they have it when they don't. And you shouldn't want to have these. It's not like why would you want to have depression? Why would you want to have anxiety? Why would you want to have these I, afflictions that damage you? Like you should want to cure yourself of it, surely. I wonder if it has something to do with the sympathy that you may garner because now we do have this culture around supporting people through mental health, which we should. And I just wonder if people may be subconsciously attracted to that societal sympathy that comes with it. It must be. I wonder, I did, I'm not saying it's always the case. Well, I think it it's a combination there. of that. And I also think that you spend a lot of time on a computer doing nothing productive and just being endlessly robbed of any of your endorphins, any of your dopamine, which is endless stimulation. You're going to mimic the feelings of someone who is depressed or anxious. Of course you are. Like it's the same as how they say that there's very little difference between someone who is a clinical sociopath and a drug addict, as in like a drug addict will do anything for the drugs and a sociopath 
will do anything to achieve their goal. So at the end of the day, what's the difference? Mm. But I think that the only difference is that it's like, look, you spend less time on the computer, you spend more time reading inspirational quotes and moving towards your goals. See if that changes at first because, you know, like this, we're talking about tiny fractions of the population. I really do feel like uh, depression or anxiety would be something that would be like most other diseases, yeah? It's just like, okay, there is a portion of the population uh, that has gout or something like that. Not everyone has it. Not everyone has gout. I think it's exactly the same kind of thing. It's just like these are minor afflictions that put into minor people. And as you're saying, like if you make a culture out of that, that's, that's a real sign of like a truly sick society. Don't you think like something something where like yes. if, if uh, you, you want okay. you want sickness? I agree, but how much emphasis can be put on the individual to fix ailments that are a result of systems that are entirely out of their control? I mean, the continued technological evolution and the sort of rapacious need to gather as much data as possible and having some of the best engineering minds in the world trying to hook you onto that phone and computer as much as you possibly can. Agree with you. You should aim to be disciplined when it, it comes to these uh, distractions. But for a teenager, for, for a child, how much can you expect them to, to do things like that when you know they've just happened to be born into a world where this is their existence? And how much does it rely on maybe governments or just just continually rethinking the culture around mental health to improve the situation for particularly children, particularly children, but for everyone. Or do you just think it's on everyone to read self-help and to no, no, potentially this, beat things that beat it themselves? When I say when I say like these issues, I'm talking about the individual. When I'm talking about society, I do honestly think that uh what we're on right now, social media, is sort of like uh, cigarettes, but everyone on planet Earth is consuming them. I think it actually does need to get to a point where it's regulated. I honestly think China has the right idea of just like allowing kids to spend, I can't remember what it is, like 40 minutes a day on it. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think it just should be flat out banned for anyone under 18. Should be, shouldn't it? It, there's no way that a human being should be uh, exposed to that much criticism and that much uh, instant feedback that is inevitably going to be extremely negative when you're 15. Being 15 was hard enough with the hormones, let alone a bunch of other hormonal people that don't even know who you are. So they're not even going to hold back, let alone teenagers don't hold back on each other anyway. But even just with the anonymity of that and then just like just being like, Dude, fuck! Like, just like, like, dude, the human brain is not even when it's like fully developed. It's not designed to cope with that much criticism. And even just like, just, just not even you getting criticized, right? Like, just seeing other people go. You know what it was? You know, you, Miss had the best observation once when we were at the airport. He saw these two like fourteen-year-old dudes uh, that were obviously friends 
not speaking to each other, which is just it's such a bizarre, weird world that we live in because that's just I could not imagine being around my other friends when I was 14 and not just talking to them, but just like staring at their phones. They're both in their own universes on TikTok with the endless scrolling of whatever's happening and this happened, which just showed me, it was so indicative of our times. Uh, them thinking about reacting to something that they saw on TikTok, doing their like hair and stuff and getting ready to do it and then just getting a bit self-conscious and then continuing to scroll. And like Miss was just watching that because he was just waiting in the airport. It was like that for 40 minutes of them just being like, hmm, feel like being smug and actually, no, I'm scared of being judged. I'll just keep scrolling. Scary. Scary that that's like kind of the emotions that are running through society now. So I do understand when people say that they're like mentally ill, but I I, I do think it's kind of the same as just saying like, I've got cancer and it's like, well, you smoked your whole life. So (laughs) you're probably going to get cancer, yeah. Well, people weren't aware of this is a very new technology. But now, now you should be aware of it. You should. <clears throat> the thing is, it's not like, uh, okay, smoking objectively is physically bad for you, whereas social media can have its benefits. We've made a career out of it. And there are countless uh, positives that can come from it. And I don't think it's going away anytime soon. But that's the whole thing, right? Like it's like, okay, maybe... Maybe cigarettes is the best example because, you know, you smoke a few cigarettes and it's science shows it's like slightly less damaging than smoking a lot, right? Uh, Junk food. It's a sometimes food. In fact, if you eat junk food but you keep it under the kilojoules of what you're supposed to be eating that day, you can just have that and then just move on with the rest of your day. But, like, let's just put it this way, right? Like, you shouldn't be spending hours hours a day on this shit nothing good can come from that like as you said there's good from social media as a product i suppose as you, you can put out messages countless careers are made it's made the in some ways it's made the economy a lot more efficient in other ways as we've talked before it's like robs entire generations of developing skills so they don't have any skills you've just got a generation of streamers and um you know, gamers and shit. Like no one no one knows how to be an engineer anymore. Um, that's definitely like a huge detraction from it. But I really can't think of any situation where it would be beneficial for you to be on TikTok and Instagram for six hours a day. And it's the same thing with television. It's just like, when this didn't exist and there was just television before, dude, you're not moving ahead in life if you're fucking sitting down in front of the TV, watching The Chase at 5.30 and then ending with, I don't know, repeats of The West Wing or something. What do you do to when, – when you have downtime, what do you do? I don't have downtime. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Well, I don't think I don't think the average person is you. I don't. I think this worked for you, and I don't think the average person can live this. I, I look. I, I strive in many ways to be like that. I uh, like to work, and I 
like to be productive and I like to get as much done as I can. But for a lot of people, they're not mentally or even physically capable of that. And if you were, look, I remember one of the podcasts we did early, early on, and I maybe had more, I guess, economic ideas about personal responsibility. And if I remember correctly, your general thesis was something along the lines of there are always going to be people in society who have to do what you could call menial jobs. Yeah, menial jobs, lower tier jobs. And not everyone can can live this, uh, you know, perfectly organized life with financial freedom. And as a result, there needs to be some state support and regulation in order for those people to have a sense of dignity. Do you not, can you not sort of extrapolate that and then adapt that to mental health or, you know, work-related issues where some people just may not have the capacity to, you know, not have downtime and people (laughs) generally want downtime and they want leisure time and, you know, especially if they're not, famous touring comedians they they want to watch tv for i you know i watch tv i watch netflix i watch all that and you see these kind of posts on instagram about hey if you're coming home to watch netflix instead of coming home to work on your side hustle you're losing out and it's like dude i want i want to <laughs> have I some relax <laughs> i want to relax man like what the, what the fuck like <laughs> It's this arms race that everyone's competing in. So then you kind of have to do that or else you can't compete with the people who are doing it, which in a way that's the engine that can drive the success of a country. And you get to you can talk about some other countries from what I've heard, certain countries in Western Europe where the culture is the complete opposite, where there's this race to the bottom of how lazy they can all be essentially. Mm. Uh, but in the in the West, it's, it's now this kind of like hustle culture, productivity obsession, which also you could argue – or many people would say, is contributing to the uh, mental health issues. So do, do, you, do you think that, uh, you know, I think there are better ways to spend your downtime than TikTok. If you can spend your downtime with friends, with family, with a loved one, you know, playing board games with your family, something like that just sounds... <laughs> So much nicer. Fringy, but that's yeah. going to be so mentally healthy. But it's wholesome. It's so wholesome. It's yeah. uh, social and you'd be working your mind if it's a good board game. Spending time with a with a partner. You know, I read this the other, a couple of weeks ago that uh, usually if men are just in physical proximity to their partner, they feel close to them, whereas women need to actually be engaging with them to feel closeness to their partner. Mm. And I definitely have, uh, w- you know, my girlfriend and I have, uh, w- that that applies to us. Sometimes when my girlfriend comes over, I just want to watch a movie and be cute, but not necessarily have uh, lengthy conversations. Whereas she will always say, look, you know, I, what's the point of us even being together if we're just going to sit there and watch something? Mm. And Mm. it sort of made me realize like, yeah, my downtime shouldn't be just watching things. Mm. I should be engaging with the people that I love. Mm. And so I've, you know, in a sad way, I've had to sort of train myself to no longer feel like my downtime has to be just a screen. Yeah. Um, 
And well, you're better for it. Yeah, I think I will be in the long term. Because um, the other thing uh, is as well. Board games. Board games, are fun. board games are a great way to actually uh, feel close to people. And, I think so too. And also stimulate the mind. If it's a good board game, there's a good store. You go to a good store that sells, you know, smart board games. Not like I mean, I I, I agree, trouble. but I I really hate the fact that I agree. Like it's just we, we really are a meme of exactly okay. who we are. <laughs> yeah, but like I, I, but that's I just, the thing Jen says always making fun of millennials for like oh, adulting. Meanwhile, like they've got like horrific mental health issues. Yeah, no. they can't leave their house without getting depressed. Yeah, no, like, you're, yeah, you're very right. you're very good at tooling people. Yes, but that's like really all your generation has. <laughs> <laughs> Forever in our shadow. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I, okay, just just while we're on the board game thing, just for some recommendations. Honestly, the only one that my, my partner and I this is pretty much just our two old men. Uh, playing Chinese checkers over and over again. It's Carcassonne. That's the one. Oh, I haven't played that one. Okay. Good. That's the one. Everyone that I've ever played that with is just like, that's the best board game I've ever done. You know why? Because it's like there's some strategy involved, but there's a very deal or no deal element to it. So there's just this endless hit of dopamine. It's just like a dumber, funner version of checkers. Um, what are the ones that you're playing? There's one I just bought it the other day and it's really fun. Um, Let me just find it. Give me one second because I've forgotten the name of it. All good. You can talk. Uh, I will continue to talk. Uh, Carcassonne has a wide variety of expansion packs that you can purchase and if you're sad enough like me, you can get the big box which comes with 11 expansion packs. Uh, in- no, you don't called- have it? <laughs> no, it's called Ven. And what you do is you, <laughs> yeah. it's a vendor to vendor. Venn diagram. Venn diagram. There's, a, there's three yep, circles yep. and you get these uh, abstract paintings that could just symbolize anything. And there's sometimes, you know, there's a duck with a gun or something like that. And then you get these, you choose these three words based on a list out of 12. You get three numbers, sorry. So then you choose the three words and then you have to put those, uh, you, you know, the, a, a corresponding abstract picture that, that hints at whatever the words may be and then the other person has to try to guess the words. It sounds horrible the way I explained it, but it's really fun. It's just you can do it with two players and it's going to be fun. Yeah. So it's not one of those like fun for the whole family things. I'd assume it would be even more fun Fun with more people. More family. But it was still good with two of us. Okay. Okay, well, that's good. So you're playing like really just a bunch of like charades and Pictionary things, are you? Right now, yeah. That's cool. That's cool because I always thought that those games, like you, you needed to have a bunch of uh, friends from the office and you're all very happy with the direction of your lives. <laughs> <laughs> yes, otherwise you'd be, you'd be on the piss. Look, that's the other thing. There are, you, you know, there was this trend on, on uh, TikTok, of course, where people would sort of sarcastically be – uh, making memes about how when people are giving them sort of silly suggestions of how to uh, work on their depression. So it was this effect where this sort of fire would be coming out of their body and then the meme would be something like the depression leaving my body when my mum tells me to just go for a walk. And it's that very sarcastic 
pretentious tone through which many TikTok videos are made. Yeah. And no one is telling you that you're going to be cured by doing these things, but there are very demonstrable habits that you should be engaging in to at least prevent some of these ailments from occurring. Or if you do have them, that can eventually at least uh, help improve them. It's so true. And just going back to it, just because you have a missing leg doesn't mean you shouldn't be exercising. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a perfect example, actually. Yes, yes. Just because you're never going to reach the level of many of your peers, that doesn't mean that you should just wallow in self-pity. No, and this is the other thing. I honestly, the, the, the example that I'm always using in self-help is like when people uh, go on a car crash and they've got one of those spines that is kind of 50-50 if they're ever going to walk again, but they then put in a brace. For the rest of their life, when that comes out, they've got better posture than 99.9% of people on planet Earth. Uh, they'll have like the back pain. Maybe that'll exist forever or whatever. But the point is that like, They've actually f ironically fixed a lot of other ailments and made their body just run a lot more efficiently by the fact that their posture is just better than everybody else's. So it's like there's all these other benefits of just trying to work on your affliction that aren't just necessarily linked to the idea of, oh, I've, uh, I, I didn't cure that. So that's like a failure. It's the same thing as what we were saying before is like you aim for something like, for instance, I aimed to be on FM radio, but by the time I was like an adult, FM radio didn't really realize it at the time, but it was dying. It was in its last breath. Again, but I do come back to that. I know you use your, yourself as an example and most people who are in this space online, definitely on the sort of self-help space, will always use themselves as an example. But, but just as a statistical fact, not everyone can do that. Not everyone can be... In, in a high status position like you or even- No, no, this is what I'm saying. This is exactly what I'm saying. It's just like you aim for that. You don't reach that. But in the process of going for that, you have accumulated a bunch of skills and a bunch of methods and a, and a way of thinking that is going to make you stand out and better in a lot of other ways. It's kind of like how Winston Churchill had bipolar. But the reason, uh, no, manic depression. I think that is bipolar. I think it's the same thing. Um, but the fact that he had that mind that had gone to a bunch of dark places, he did what no one else in British Parliament could do, which was lead Britain through a war. He could make the tough decisions because his brain was used to being in a dark place. So when there was really dark times, and there was really dark times for Britain in World War II, like there was, there was moments where the, like, you know, the entire Parliament was saying, you have to, to surrender to the Germans. And he didn't do it, and anybody else in his position probably would have said yes. Really? So they almost Germany almost took Britain. There was a chance. There was a yeah. position right there where they were just saying, like, where I think virtually everyone except for the king. I think the king of England was kind of just on Winston Churchill's side, but there was like he, most of his party was just saying, sign the the détente with Hitler. Do you think there is something, I was thinking about this sort of t tangentially earlier this week, where do you think there is something about strict parenting or what could be loosely described as ethnic parenting and it developing a self-fulfilling prophecy in that you hear a lot of people online, particularly from East Asian backgrounds, talking about how their parents don't understand mental health. And 
sure, they're stricter parents. They expect a lot more of you, specifically academically. But I look at, and this is obviously entirely anecdotal, I look at the specifically Indians and Chinese people my age who grew up with those stereotypically strict parents, and I compare them to maybe some people who had more, you know, relaxed, middle-class white parents, and they're just able to cope with life better. <laughs> yes. It does seem yes. that, it does seem that Doesn't way. Doesn't it? And, and they probably got <laughs> smacked a lot as a kid yeah. for not doing certain things. Yeah. And I wonder if uh, <laughs> parenting that is too accommodating towards, uh, you know, ne- negative feelings can actually be a hindrance to those people later in life. I'd imagine it's a fine. I, I'm get, all of this is guesswork. Okay, I know. I, I just do have a strong feeling this podcast is not going to be received entirely well by everyone. But this is all guesswork. Um, I, I'd imagine it would be a fine balance where if you're just so rigid and 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 disciplined and and you're a complete disciplinarian, then will there likely be some form of rebellion or the 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 child and, and, and eventually the adult wouldn't be able to develop a true sense of self? Having said that, a true sense of self is a very, that is a very Western idea. Such but, a Western and, idea, isn't it? But simultaneously, if you're just entire, you have no boundaries and you're just always accommodating and understanding to someone's unhappiness or moodiness or whatever it may be. You're training them to just always, in many ways, just kind of react to their emotions and and live life based on whatever their emotional state may be, when realistically you should also be trying to push people to be able to work through the tough times. Because that's what, like, ultimately you're going to be there's going to be times in your life when it's absolutely horrendous and you still, if you've got responsibilities, you have to, you have to live up to them. You have, you to, have to just keep pushing through. Do what through. you have to do, yeah. You've got to keep pushing, yes. And so, you know, it's a double-edged sword when we're talking about um, vulnerability and mental health and all these things and it's, can't help but feel the pendulum is now just swinging too far the other way. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw mean, I saw a guy with a souped-up Hilux the other day, speeding, you know, he tatted up, looked like he was on roids and he had a hashtag, it's not weak to speak. Like, dude, I think there's more problems in your life than just not speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you yeah, know, yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like you probably bullied half the people in high school and you caused more mental health issues than you putting your little hashtag on your car there. I don't know what that's going to do. <laughs> but then I do wonder for that sector of society, for that very you know, that kind of lower socioeconomic blokey, what maybe could be called toxically masculine uh, sphere of culture, maybe those, these sorts of very simplistic mantras are very helpful because potentially they do just bottle things up and purely just react with rage and the urge to control whenever there's even like the slightest amount of emotion <laughs> in there. In there them. So I don't know. I just, I don't know. Um Who knows? I think that we've got a lot to learn from immigrant parents. They seem to just make model citizens, really. They're the only Usually. ones that are generating 
productive. You know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the people that actually know what maths is, you know, that that's an important skill to have. And like, I think going down that slide of just uh, this seems to be all part of this extremely indulgent affluence that seems to be rotting the West of this idea of like do whatever you want to do in life, say whatever you want to say, feel however you want to feel all the time. And I do start to see it eroding society because as you said, look at it, every uh, immigrant that I know around my age, kids, married, stable job, nuclear family stuff. That's what kind of keeps society going. Then I look at a bunch of my generation and they're worse than me. They're like, it's just, I look like a competent adult in comparison. They are man children, like women girls or whatever. Like, you know, like they're still living the same life they were living when they were 18 and they have all of these ideas in their head. And I think it all just comes to this thing of like, dude, the Simpsons made fun of it before with the like, the episode that was all just actually ironically about self-help where the, the entire thing was just like do what you feel like all the time. And that seems people, to be the general mantra of society now. There's, a, there's, a, there's the essence of that, but do you think people actually have that in their head or do you think that people have questioned the uh, – cultural influences of yesteryear and the behaviours that are expected of you uh, due to them and they don't have faith in those aforementioned behaviours anymore that you should not indulge in certain self-pleasures or, or, or you should be aiming to uh, build a nuclear family by your mid-20s and just live that sort of standard life. Although has that then also become bastardized to the point where we've lost sight of how meaningful that can be. And, you know, what I'm saying, do you think it's just people in their head thinking I should be able to do whatever I want all the time? Or do you think it's people just not having faith in, in what was expected of them culturally? I think that that's how it started. I think that, look, a lot of these ideas, it was, uh, you know, a rebellion in the 60s that kind of brought this all about. And then, you know what, actually, man, a really good example of this is, speaking of, uh, there's, there's, there's a very good Netflix documentary that everyone kept hounding me to watch because, like, you know, I'm around a bunch of musos. So I ended up doing it one night after the show, right? And it was uh, Woodstock 99, highly recommend everybody watch it because it was just such a perfect indication between that generation and our generation. And they just kept cutting from footage from Woodstock 69 to Woodstock 99. And it really showed the moral and spiritual decay of the West in that time. Wasn't the whole point of Woodstock in, in 69 was actually to question the morality of the West? Were yes. they all still having orgies and doing drugs and all the things that arguably were the catalyst for what the culture is today? Yeah, but there was something else that was there which was kind of like a – I 
the 60s was about questioning uh, the institutions, which is a healthy thing to do. And those hippies grew up to still be contributing members of society for the whole. There's like acid casualties and things like that, but a lot of them went on to be lawyers and all this kind of shit, right? But they had a different consciousness to them. But they engendered the culture that has now... No, you know what I think it is, and this is what's... In fact, actually Family Guy once said it where it was just like, we got rid of the values but kept the weed. I think that that's really what happened with the hippie movement. Like, <laughs> like they kept the elements that were indulgent and self-serving and didn't keep the uh, like, love your fellow brother, man. Like that, that all just went. And it's really obvious when you watch Woodstock 99. Like I think the best thing, I once contrasted it. I was going to do it in a, in a stand-up show actually and then I like saw it just happen again. But like the symbol that sums up Woodstock 69 is Jimi Hendrix doing this with his guitar and the symbol that sums up Woodstock 99 is Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit going like this to the crowd. It's a different energy. That's all I'm saying. And then like there was another point where like it was like some no-name black guy just being like, I'm playing Jimi Hendrix, Stars and Stripes. And they just started playing it at 99 and being like, and the thing was like, because they, they, they cut back on, they gave this as a really good example, right? During Woodstock 69, everybody would just like come to a commune, man, and they'd all like cook lentils together and then they'd all do yoga in the morning and you don't need like a garbage, man. You just everybody like some, some guy picks up the garbage and some guy cooks, man. Like it was like commune, dude. Like it was that, right? Yeah. And then Woodstock 99, it was just like, okay, how do we make as much money as possible? Okay, let's use the word Woodstock. Bam. All right, let's get all of these angry new metal bands instead of like just like chill, like, you know, sitars <laughs> yeah, and well, shit like this. But that was and- Gen X as well. That wasn't. Even our generation. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, don't you think Gen X noticeably more fucked than boomers? Noticeably more fucked. Like, everyone's always saying boomers suck. It's like, no, they don't. You're mistaking boomers for Gen X. Boomers, I I get on with boomers a lot better. Like, Gen X are your, for lack of a better, like, Charlie Pickering. What a fucking poster boy for Gen X. You know, like that. Because <laughs> it's just this kind of thing of like, you know, like I want to do a creative job, but I'm also a sellout. It's like, you suck. You fucking suck. Like you just, it's, it's like two things. It's like, it's like this, this, this combination of, uh, and like also this as well, right? Like uh, Howard, Boomer, Scott Morrison, Gen X. Enough said. That that's that's the, the the decay that we're talking about here. It's like I don't agree okay. with John Howard. I think that what John Howard did is just like generally bad for the country. But there was a decorum and class to the man that does not exist with Scott Morrison. He is a pure opportunist. Whereas like you know with Howard there was kind of just like these upstanding morals that he stood for. You, you know like they're, they're, these yeah. things started to get eroded there. 
the thing is, yeah. like with the Woodstock yeah. thing, like him just playing the Stars and Stripes, Jimi Hendrix doing that, and then this guy doing like a shitter version of it. And he was like, everyone threw plastic bottles at me, and then just just like hundreds of thousands of used plastic bottles getting thrown at him that are empty because they didn't pay for sanitation to go through and pick up all the shit. So it was just like absolutely filthy. Uh, they didn't. They again didn't pay for like the people to go and check all the water. They like cut costs wherever they could. And so like uh-huh. the water was just filled with sewerage, like absolutely drenched in sewerage and people got trench mouth. Yeah. Trench mouth. Like I think that what is happening here is like it's like as we were saying before, right? Like it's that that combination of that sort of the post effects of like uh, you, you know, the, the real hollowing out of society and, and, and the replacing of it with just these laissez-faire businesses that are just able to just grow like cancers across the planet. And that became the ethos of what happened. And then I think now we've gotten into a phase where now it's not just uh, companies directing like what is trends and what aren't trends and like really just getting you like – scrimping as much as they possibly can out of you with giving as little back in return. I think we now are at the stage where it's kind of just like this micro mind control because now you just have like the algorithm telling you exactly what you want to see. And so I think that it's now just gone from like a generation, like baby boomer kind of like this hippie consciousness of of questioning institutions. Then Gen X kind of saw the, the breakdown of institutions that was just like, it was purely economic, I think, at that point as well, right? Like it was like, you know, neoliberalism for lack of a better word had happened and like all of these institutions were just naturally breaking down because they just weren't funded properly. And, I'm, uh, and then, you know, uh, generation Y, Generation Z, I think have just been the next phase of that, which is just like the erosion of morals. Like even when you go to people that are Gen X, for instance, right? Like recently someone I know had to have eye surgery or something and then somebody else I know that is part of Gen X that's not related to them at all is giving them like, rosary beads and like lit them one of those catholic candles or something like that man could you how many fucking people from gen y are like uh doing hail marys hoping that someone gets better it's not happening so it's just like this breakdown of everything now and it's just replaced with just this kind of like what's in front of your feet just keep paying attention to this shit so this little pop-up can come onto the side and that's this what everything has been replaced with now what so it's like no wonder that everyone's about, like though, sad. What, huh? the, what, what institutions that could have been that could have continued where that would have helped the lack the, of purpose and meaning in today's generation? Well, as you're always pointing out, there's like religion is just one of the classic ones. I mean, but look, that's the whole. But that was the '60s. Then that wasn't the Gen X. That huh? was the '60s that questioned all those cultural institutions. I think that that's the whole difference though, right? Like it's like they questioned them. They didn't break them down. Yeah, but they set the tone there. I think it was myopic to think that you could just look at how those institutions were restricting you personally, create an entire movement about how they should be questioned and then expect future generations to not, ponder what the costs of 
entirely breaking down those institutions will be and and now we are bearing those costs yes so yes, that's definitely true. But 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 know, there they, was also like a corporate response to the questioning of it that also true. like yeah. accelerated this and actually physically broke them down. But like, yes, I think that that's what happened. Like kind of, let's just talk very broadly here for a second. I think that hippies questioned the spirit of the West and then like a bunch of corporate funded economists questioned the actual functioning of the West that's those two things I think are, are two forces that have kind of led us to where we are today in tandem. And I think that it's probably, yeah, as you say, for lack of like, cause what do you get out of baby boomers every time you get children that were like way too entitled, way too entitled. Mm-hmm. They were, and acting to their, like as a, a rebellion of their parents just, you know, telling them to get a haircut and go fight in Vietnam or something like that. And they were just like, why the fuck should I do that? And like, you know, they questioned it. And so they didn't want to put those same restrictions on their kids. And as you said, yes, we are bearing the brunt of that. And we are also bearing the brunt of, you know, just a, a barely... Australia is like a lot better than, you know, other places in the world, like a a lot of European countries and the US, but like, you know, these barely functioning societies just hanging on by the edge, hollowed out, hollowed out societies. And I think, don't you think that actually like music, like this is what's cool about a festival, I suppose, because when you were watching it, you were thinking about that. It's like, Okay, yes. Music is sort of like propagated by companies and that's kind of what becomes big and whatever. But like they do propagate like a bunch of different acts and only some acts rise to the top. And those are the acts that are resonating with the youth at the time. Yeah. So if you're a hippie and you're into like music that's just like some chill psychedelic rock that's a very different tone to fucking new metal, which every song was kind of just like, you know, like the, the, what made them get up and like, just like fucking mosh hard was that Limp Bizkit song. Just being like, just one of those days where everything sucks. You don't give a fuck. Like it's just, it's <laughs> so, whoa, 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 whoa. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, you know, like it's just, it's a very it's, different tone. Yeah. It's a very different tone. And so, like, it's... (laughs) (laughs) And, like, now I think that it's just like, okay, all right. I think the boomers probably tried to create very sort of spiritual, community-minded people and all they created was a generation of very entitled individuals who um, couldn't face any adversity. And it's obvious because that's like I see it over and over again. Like it's like, okay, look, all the parents I know that have – look, we're just going to have to talk in advantages and disadvantages. Let's just talk about it like this, right? You, you can you – can, you can chill – with the parents of hippies, the children of hippies better, as in uh, 
their minds are just going to be expanded because they're like you know they're, they're just they, they had these like very easygoing childhoods and the the parents knew a lot of like general knowledge and like cool things about culture and uh you know i suppose we're just like even just implanting into their children's heads things like yeah i mean like you know drugs the, the man says that you can't take them but all of my friends took them and they're fine they just expanded their minds a bit and it's like yeah okay that's true to a degree uh, you also were the benefactors because I see this all the time with the children of hippies, the children of the hippies. The hippies are always these kind of professional class people. They're people that work in press. They're, they're psychologists. They work in law. They actually do have these jobs that kind of just allow them to like sit around and think all day. Yeah, and you can um, live that sort of a lifestyle if you grow up in an upper middle class sector of society. Yes. No real costs for you going on a bender on the weekend or – no. Spending a year or two finding yourself while you smoke weed every weekend. You can't do that in other sectors of society. You can't no, do that in exactly. any other country. Like, huh? You can't afford to do that. And then the costs of that culture being promulgated throughout the different sectors of society has been destructive. Destructive. Yeah, it has. It has. Rich people can afford to be potheads for a part of their life. Yeah. You cannot if you're poor. No, you can't. You, you cannot if you've come from an Asian country. No, you don't have- There's no welfare there. No. You'd, you're in the gutter. And that's where I think that culture was, was a good, it's a good uh, a phrase that I've, has come into the consciousness, um, lu- a luxury belief. Luxury beliefs are cultural ideas that are great for the upper and upper middle class, horrendous for the working and um, lower classes. That's a great one, actually. Like, you can experiment around with drugs. That's such a good example of a luxury belief, isn't it? It's like, because that's the thing. All of my fucking rich friends did that and kept doing it. And that's, you know, there is a cost at some point, even if there isn't a cost, as in this is the other thing. I don't know any immigrants that have no friends that have a huge racking up of da- debt, that uh, can't get into a long-term relationship. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in a long-term relationship, but if you are incapable of maintaining a long-term relationship, I really do think that there's something wrong with your development. Um, I know plenty of immigrants that can't get a girlfriend. That's just because they're like <laughs> losers though, right? Like it's yeah. not because it's kind of just like there's something like wrong with their personality. They're kind of just yeah. like, I'm shy and uh, I, I let out at karaoke sometimes and everyone looks at me weirdly and I feel bad about it. Yeah, I think they've got other problems. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, but they've got a job. They definitely have a job. They've got that. That's very true. And it's only a matter of time before, uh, you know, the eggs of the people of the women around them diminish so much that they get desperate and then they get married. Like that's going to happen to them. (sighs) Truly, right? Truly. Yep. Okay. Uh, (laughs) That is not happening to like, it's, that's the, that's the cycle of life. That is the cycle of life for nerds. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a truth to that. Um, but like, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen to. Like, I do know a lot of people that are from that. 
they're truly like mid-30s babies. They have nothing. They have no job. They have no skills. They have no girlfriend. They have no friends. Like no they can't job. maintain friends. Huh? What do you mean? That, so are they? are they – is there something – mentally wrong with them yes or- that's what i'm saying it becomes almost self-fulfilling prophecy at some point because it's just like if you just keep instilling into your kids minds that they can do whatever they want and they can take whatever drugs they want and it doesn't matter because at the end of the day you're going to inherit a house in fucking paddington anyway like you, you, that's the end result and like then you look at these people and there is actually a point because like a lot of the time when someone's just like you know I have mental health issues and stuff. It's like, you're just avoiding getting blamed. That's what's happening. Like the the example of he who shall not be named at the moment, it's kind of just like, I don't believe that for a second. I think that you're just saying that to try and get some kind of fucking public sympathy out of the fact that you're objectively an awful human being, right? Like, I think that that happens a lot, but at some point you get to a stage of just like doing whatever you want and perpetually being a 15 year old that I actually do think that like you go too far, you go off the deep end and you do become insane. And at that point, I actually do think there's no coming back for you. You are, you do actually have, you have a self-fulfilling prophecy of a mental illness because there was just no resistance in their life. They didn't strive for anything. And like, like it's it's sad at this point as well because it's kind of like you're not in the prime of your life anymore. Yeah, you're, you're like you're, you're not you're like at the okay mountain twenty eight thirty five like just going down a bit. You're not even at third base camp yet, right? But like you've already peaked, son. And what have you got to show for it? Nothing. This is the saddest phrase I've ever heard in my life. I was talking about one of these to my girlfriend. And she said this at the end as a summary and I thought, my God. She said, his only friend is his mum. He has uh, what he had when he was two. Okay. You look so evil just there. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to, uh, I don't know what the exact situation is, but that does sound very sad. Um, Doesn't it? Well, I don't, does he have mental, well, again, now he does, now he does due to the fact that, and then, but then if you were brought up in that environment, that's, you can argue that it's, it doesn't mean you shouldn't take accountability for it as an adult, but uh, something has to be done about the way people are being parented now as well. Yeah. And uh, there are cultural and economic reasons for that because now if both parents are working, there's just far less time where the kids actually get to be raised by their own parents. Mm, And that has profound effects. Huge ramifications. I know people like that, workaholic parents. and, And the child is an animal. They're not a person. They're an animal. They, they like run on instinct. It's weird. They like basic social conventions, just not there. Yeah. Look, the developmental stage of many children in the West now needs to be thoroughly and seriously questioned. And, and, and this route of continuously going down the path of understanding and tolerance and this sort of very maternalistic 
way of seeing things needs to be severely questioned. Because it's just like, like, come on, really, what is the end result of saying everything that you do is fine? What is the end result of that? It's a degenerate society. Like there is a reason that social pressure exists. It's there to keep people so they behave. Like, like the same thing that you see when you see people that are homeschooled for a while, like homeschooled their entire life and then they get into the real world and it's like it's scary interacting with those people. It's like off-putting because they just, you know, they didn't have those experiences in primary school where someone just like made fun of like some little stutter that they had and so they got like ashamed of it and tried to correct it and things like that. Like the those experiences in life didn't happen to them. And like now that you're an adult, like you're too nice to say anything about it. And so they just give off this like they walk through life kind of just repelling people and not knowing why. It's 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 like the exact it's like the it's like cruel to be kind stuff, isn't it? It's just like if you're just endlessly being kind to people, it's actually cruel. Hmm. Yeah, compassion is a virtue insofar as it's not the best way forward for that person. Well, it's kind of just like That's if you were truly compassionate about them, you would want them to be a functioning member of society at a minimum. Surely, right? Like you'd want them to be independent and self-sufficient. Yeah, I mean, there's that's, there's short-term compassion where you make people feel good in the moment. Yeah. And everyone needs that to a certain degree. And then there's compassionate action that will genuinely help someone over the medium to long term. And it, it can be compassionate to be unkind, to be brutally truthful. Mm. But uh, I think we'll, we'll uh, end this one there. Right, yes, yes. Yeah, let, let us know what you thought about that. Uh, thank you, Dougie. Hey, Dougie. Really glad to hear that your uh, your panic attacks have reduced. And I think that this is because this is another thing that I get <coughs> when I go and do my self-help channels all the time, uh, show, my shows, and then people come up to me afterwards and say I'm a big fan of the self-help channel and they say something similar to what Dougie says all the time, which is that, you know, like uh, I felt bad most of my life. I got a few tools and started implementing them and now I'm like way better off. At a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, you should learn what those tools are and practice them. There we go. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. We've got one more for the rest of 2022, actually. So um, we'll see you next week. See ya.